Blog Talk Radio. Love to hear from you. 
and that's next Thursday, next Thursday evening. Next Friday, it will be Carl and Alfred. Their show is 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, and they will be discussing respectability politics. And so that should be a fun show. That should be a really, really good show, too. So I want you guys to check in for that. Raina is doing a show Saturday. That information will be available shortly, but her show is at 12 o'clock Saturday. And I'm looking forward to hearing her. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar, Raina is a neuroscientist, and she's absolutely phenomenal. She also has a blog, Roads to Reality. And check that out. She's written a number of um, blogs that were exceptional. So I want you guys to go and check her out next Sunday. We will have a topic of dissent in the feminist community. Again, dissent in the feminist community. And basically, we'll be talking about some of the issues that have come out most recently um, in which there have been some plagiarism of black feminist bloggers and basically issues of being acknowledged, not being acknowledged by white feminists, if you will, and just a number of different issues. So next Sunday, Dissent in the Feminist Community. The Sunday after that, um, the show will be on political functions of the God concept, God and spiritual concept, but political functions of the God and spiritual concept. That's the Sunday after that. And let's see here. The Sunday after that, I'm going to pick back up my Bible series. I've had people asking me about it. And it's going to be a twist on it because we've talked about Moses in the Exodus, and we all know, you know, in that particular show, basically we stated that it never happened. And we provided some proof. If you go into the archives, you'll be able to find that show. But with this particular Bible series, we're going to talk about the story of Exodus and black Christians in America and how some black Christians in America kind of tries to parallel the story of slavery and the maltreatment or mistreatment of black Americans. They try to parallel it with the story of Exodus in the Hebrews. And we're going to address that. The Sunday after that, we are going to talk about shaming. So shame, shame, shame. Um, In particular, we're going to talk about body image policing, but there are a number of different things um, we're going to talk about, slut-shaming and all of that. So basically, that's the show the Sunday after. So shame, shame, and shame. And we're going to talk about a number of issues. So please join in, and we're looking forward to uh, interacting with you and engaging with you on these particular topics. And we thank you guys for calling in. Our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. If you want to speak with me, press 1. And, you know, it's going to be a minute because of some things that I definitely want to get off the table. But before I finish up and go into the topic, those of you who missed it this past week on Huffington Post Live, We had several members of the black atheist community representing, and they did a fantastic job. We had Dr. Sakivu Hutchinson. We had Debbie Goddard. We had Jamila Bay. And we had Ronnell Adams. 
and, you know, four phenomenal people. Um, I've posted it all over the place. You can find that on my wall. And that's one of the posts that I made public. So for those that are following me on Facebook, all of that information is available. We're still taking um, abstracts for the Women of Color um, project, you know, Faith and Beyond. And the deadline for that is September 30th, 500-word abstract. That's all. So I've posted that, but I'm going to post it even more this year. I'm I'm sorry, this week. I'm going to... um, you know, post it out on Twitter again and get some retweets going. So look for that tomorrow and maybe one other day this week. So, you know, again, you know, Dr. Hutchison is still looking for abstracts, 500-word abstracts with a deadline of September 30th of this year. So, you know, keep that in mind. Information is out there. Again, I've made that public on my wall, but I'll repost it again um, tomorrow. So to kind of let you guys know, I'm going to do a little bit more during the week now, making posts. Um, such as that. For those of you who missed it, Dr. Hutchinson was on Aspire, and she did, uh, you know, uh, she gave a talk about atheism and the rise of atheism in the black community, and it's actually, in my opinion, a faith-based show. And, you know, when she spoke, it was absolutely phenomenal. So for those of you who have Aspire, um, that's television um, network Aspire. The name of the show is Exhale, and the name of the episode is Faith and Religion. And we're trying to figure out a way, you know, um, to see if it's online so we can post the links so that you guys can actually see it for yourself. But for those of you with Comcast, and I believe it's Time Warner, you should be able to find it in your local listings. I'm telling you, don't miss it. It was absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, so it's been, you know, interesting um, week over the past few months, actually. Um, some of the issues that have been in the news regarding race relations in this country, um, we definitely, you know, there are quite a few things that, you know, need to be addressed. I see a few people on the line. I see a couple of numbers that are familiar. If you guys wanted to speak, press one so I know to pull you in. But, um you know, a lot of this has been happening for, since, you know, I guess since slavery and especially after, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation. And what I mean by that is, you know, painting negative, disparaging pictures, general stereotypes of people of color. And it's a false narrative. You know, um, I saw somewhere where they called it a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, again, with the narratives that are are being played out in the news, you would think that every crime committed ever was because of black people. And that's not true. And we're going to bring you some information um, in a few talking about, you know, why don't white crime, some of the disparities. But, you know, I want to take it back to the Zimmerman trial. And basically what's happening now is the Tea Partiers, um, conservative Republicans, you know, that right wing over there, it's like they have some sort of obsession with black crime rates with the black community. And this is deflection. 
and all of this black-on-black crime, which is not true, that's a myth, um, they're, they're focusing on that to try to deflect the conversation from talking and dealing with race relations in this country. And we can't allow that to happen. I mean, you have Heather McDonald from NRO, and she says, if a black parent wants to radically reduce his son's chance of getting shot, he should live in a white neighborhood. And, you know, that comment alone, you know, um, should cause us to question some things. If a parent wants to radically reduce his son's chance of getting shot, he should live in a white neighborhood. They they aren't talking about public policies that kind of railroaded black people into certain neighborhoods. We'll talk a little bit about that later on today. And, again, we'll talk about, um, you know, a number of different things. We'll talk about microaggression. We will talk about... Um, you know, power, privilege, in everyday life. We will talk about um, a number of issues, you know, um, um, basically confirmation bias or implicit bias, if you will, um, proximity hypothesis. We're going to talk about a number of these things. And, you know, again, unconscious bias um, is interesting because, you know, I see people talking about different things. But what we need to um, understand is that there are some very serious questions that need to be asked as to how certain things ended up the way that they are. Um, Pat Buchanan, you know, who we love to hear speak as much as, you know, wisdom that comes out of that mouth there, he says, black America's real problem isn't white racism. So, again, it's another deflection. And basically, you know, um, he was talking about stop and frisk and how the tactics were justified because of black crime rates. You know, um, he basically said that white vigilantes nor cops were black America's problems and that racism really resides in the black community. And what a lot of us have to understand is that a lot of these black conservatives, sorry, a lot of these white conservatives really do believe that there is no racism problem. They believe that racism, you know, has been overcome. And, you know, I guess, you know, part of their justification is we've elected a melanin-rich president. And, you know, we'll get to some of that a little bit later. But Ann Coulter um, points to crime rates to defend the generalized fear of young black males. And she penned a column on July 17th and titled it, To Avoid Looking Like a Criminal, Don't Commit a Crime, and claimed that generalized fear of young black males is justified because a disproportionate number of criminals are young black males. And, you know, um, Richard Cohen of the Washington Post said that Trayvon Martin was understandably suspected because he was black. And that was on July 15th and said he could understand why Zimmerman was suspicious and why he thought Martin was wearing a uniform we all recognize. You know, and that was a reference to, you know, the hoodie. And he claimed that young black males commit a disproportionate disproportionate amount of crime, so they should be scrutinized more than normal by law enforcement. 
and this is his conclusion here. There is no doubt in my mind that Zimmerman profiled Martin, embraced by a gun, set off in quest of heroism. The result was quintessentially American tragedy, the death of a young man understandably suspected because he was black and tragically dead for the same reason. Bill O'Reilly, he said, I don't believe that blacks are unfairly targeted by justice system because they just live in high crime districts. And he dismissed the fact that black men are being disproportionately targeted by the criminal justice system because high crime districts are to blame for the high incarceration rates among blacks. And, you know, there are quite a few um, different articles. In the Wall Street Journal, you had Jason Riley, and apparently he cites, you know, a professor who says that black violence is a historical fact not bigoted imagination. And um, he went on to blame young black men for the perception of black criminality that plagues the black community. Ted Nugent, that rocket scientist there, he said the black problem could be solved if blacks put heart and soul into being honest and law-abiding. And that was on his buddies, Alex Jones' show, and that we should fix the black problem tonight. And, you know, racism against blacks was gone by the time I started touring the nation in the late 1960s and by the 1970s. Nothing of consequence existed to deter or compromise a black American's dream if they got an alarm clock, if they said it. If they took good care of themselves, they remained clean and sober. If they spoke clearly and they demanded excellence of themselves and provided excellence to their employers. Sounds like a veiled reference to slavery to me, but that's, you know, a totally different um, conversation there. And no one is talking about, you know, the lack of economic and educational opportunities, you know, in the black community. No one is talking about the public policies, redlining, and how certain situations were set up on purpose, you know. And the NAACP, they released a fact sheet, and it showed a different variety of factors contributing to black criminality. And I'll give you some of the contributing factors, you know, crime and drug arrest rates, you know, um, African Americans represent 12% of monthly drug users, but comprise 32% of persons arrested for drug possession. Um, the get tough on crime, war on drug policies. Remember, just say no. Well, apparently that doesn't work. And they're also telling young people to just say no to sex, and seeing all these news stories about these adults not being able to control themselves. But that's another story. Um, mandatory minimum sentences. Sentencing, um, especially disparities in sentencing for crack and powder cocaine possession. Now, you know, they're working to close that particular disparity um, regarding crack and powder cocaine. And I believe that's one of the reasons why, you know, Eric Holder has come, you know, under so much fire because he's trying to right some of these wrongs. And, again, 
you all need to read Michelle Alexander's book. It will answer a lot of questions for you guys. It's a phenomenal book. In 2002, blacks constituted more than 80% of the people sentenced under the federal crack cocaine law and served substantially more time in prison offenses than did whites. Despite that fact that more than two-thirds of crack cocaine users in the U.S. are white or Hispanic. Then you have the three-strike rule, you know, for habitual offender policies. And down in Florida, they have that 1020 life um, program, you know, third strike, you're out. Florida, California, there are a number of states. Look it up, do some research. Uh, You have zero tolerance policies as a result of perceived problems with school violence, adverse effect on black children. Um, 35% of black children grades 7 through 12 have been suspended or expelled at some point in their school careers compared to 20% of Hispanics and 15% of whites. So, again, you know, I would tell you guys to go out there and do some research and find out, you know, what happens, you know, what is happening out here. Um, Tahisi, well, Tahisi Coates from the Atlantic, which I enjoy some of his writing sometimes, but um, he did an article as black is more than myth, it is socially engineered prophecy. So that's what I was referring to earlier. And um, it was a response to Richard Cohen's article. And, again, go out there and read and, and get a better understanding as to what's happening out here because I just think it's extremely important for people to understand and be able to have this information, to be able to have this knowledge so that, you know, you'll know how to arm yourself. Knowledge is power. And what I found interesting over on Black Girl Dangerous blog, um, she wrote an article on how to be black in America. And, you know, it's kind of somewhat of a spoof of Don Lemon's little chat that he gave on CNN uh, most recently. But I'll give you a few of the examples that she gave. Uh, She was like, don't sag your pants. Pull them up slowly. Don't make any sudden movements. Um, stop talking about racism. That's over. See your black president. Um, stop asking the black president to do anything to help you. That's reverse racism or something. Don't be mad. Don't reach for your wallet or your cell phone. Who told you it was okay to walk down the street? And this is my favorite. Don't assert yourself. You're scaring people. Don't scare people so much. Why do you talk like that? Get an education somehow. Speak properly for Christ's sake. But don't be uppity. So, you know, they want you to get educated. They want you to speak properly. But don't use four or five syllable words because now you're being an uppity Negro. And we know how they feel about that. Um, You know, um, don't wear your hair natural either unless you get that good hair. J.P. Morgan Chase, don't do nappy. Um, This one was also an interesting one, don't exist. Um, You know, um, another one is you're really dark. Can you do something about that? In fact, if you're going to insist on being black, please be as light-skinned as possible. Have a white parent if you can manage it, Okay. And, you know, uh, don't have kids unless you're married. And everyone knows black women can't find husbands. 
soul, just don't have kids. If you must have them, though, have daughters. And, you know, it just it goes on. Um, be nicer. You know people are intimidated by you, right? Why are you making it harder? Why are you making it harder on yourself? And, Jesus, slavery was 150 years ago. Get your shit together. You know, don't get nominated for an Oscar at nine years old. This makes you a cunt. Why is your name so weird? I'm going to just call you and then go back to that point there. And, you know, it's just, wow, it's just it's just interesting, you know, a lot of the things that are happening in this, you know, country. And there's a lot of racial, you know, micro, microaggressions. And, you know, a couple of examples of that is why are we learning about this? It's not even important. And I've seen that in school. I've seen it online. I've seen, you know, a couple of professors talked about that particular scenario in which some of the white students complained about having to read books written by black people or Latinos or having to learn about, in this particular case, the colonization of South and Latin America. Because, you know, with that one white particular student, or in some in certain cases students, they felt as though learning about other cultures was a waste of time. That the only culture that was important was theirs. And we have to, you know, deal with that, you know, constantly. Another example of microaggression is I'm not a misogynist. I don't hate women. It's just that they're not as smart as men. They're like babies or dumb animals. I love babies and animals. They still can't do much, though. You know, um, it's just, you know, wow. It's just it's just unreal, you know. And the thing is, is that with some of these people, again, you know, going back to unconscious bias, and, you know, we'll, we'll get more in depth about that a little bit later, Um <laughs> Some of these people really do not understand and believe that they're being aggressive, that they're being biased. You know, basically, you know, racial microaggressions are brief and commonplace, daily verbal behavior or environmental indignities, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative racial slights and insults toward people of color. And perpetrators of microaggressions are often unaware that they engage in such communications when they interact with racial ethnic minorities. And, you know, when you try to bring this up and explain why, you know, certain verbiage, certain um, colloquials or what have you are offensive, they're, you know, they act, some people act perplexed. Now, there are some that will introspect, and they will apologize, and they will try to learn and do better. And, and that's wonderful, and that's commendable. Um, but, you know, we need more people to, you know, to be introspective and to try to have empathy and understand why certain things are offensive. Um, you know... Huh. Here's another one. 
So, like, instead of using all this money to buy a $13,000 ticket to, like, India or something, I can just use to save poor people in, like, Africa. You know, not understanding that Africa is a continent with 53 countries. And, you know, here's one that, you know, I've had said to me, which kind of pisses me off. And I'm just letting you know that, you know, saying these types of things are not a compliment to me. Um, One thing is sometimes I forget that you're black. Really? I don't. Or here's another one. Oh, you don't have a degree? I am so sorry. I assumed you did. I totally thought you did. That's like being bisexual. It's not real. That's another example. Huh. You go to a woman's college. What do they teach you there? How to cook and sew? It's just it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, you know, we're just trying to, um, you know, give you all some understanding as to what's happening and, you know, why it upsets us and why it's offensive. And, again, um, you know, there have been some satirical spoofs, if you will, um, regarding this. There was a really good one with Chris Hayes in which they were talking about, you know, the riots over in Huntington Beach and, you know, they received a lot of flack for that show. But they they had a right to do that show, and they need to understand. You know, here's a quote from Chris Hayes. Look, I don't want people to be suspicious of white men, but the Huntington Beach riot underlies a stark truth about white culture. The fact is 84% of white murder victims are killed by other white people. And then he demanded that the white community ask itself how to deal with the problem of white crime and lamented that moderate whites weren't speaking out. And there was some pushback because of that, you know, show. But, you know, it it needed to be said. And it's just interesting. And people need to understand proximity. The majority of crimes are not committed because the other person is black with this alleged black-on-black crime or with the alleged white-on-white crime. White people do not target other people, white people, because they're white, just like black people do not target other people that are black because they are black. It's called proximity. And there is a proximity hypothesis. Please educate yourself. The crimes that are committed in black neighborhoods are committed because that's what's closest they're more familiar with the people in the neighborhood. Even if it's someone that they're not familiar with, it's closest to them. I don't see very many people driving three or four suburbs over to a wealthy white, you know, I don't see a lot of black people driving to a wealthy white neighborhood to commit crimes. They're going to do it within their area, just like with white on white crime. It's proximity. Whatever is closest, what what they can get to quickly who they can victimize that's convenient. And the whole thing is just is unreal because they're scared.
skewing the statistics. They're they're skewing the narrative, and they're trying to reframe it and deflect from the fact that we need to have a conversation about race in this country. We do. And for the ones pointing at, you know, black-on-black crime, if you will, basically the crime rates have gone down in the black community significantly. In the 60s, you know, black leaders were complaining about the high crime rates and they were ignored. But the crime rates have gone down. You know, but since, you know, we want to talk about black-on-black crime, let's talk about white people behaving badly. Let's let's read a couple of their news stories here. And, again, we talked a little bit about the Huntington Beach, you know, these surfer dudes that decided to go on a rampage. You all have heard about that this week. This one right here, this other story kind of perplexed me. Um, there was a young man by the name of T.J. Lane a young white teenager, and apparently he killed some other young men, but from my understanding, he was being bullied. And he killed them in retaliation because they had antagonized him to the point that he couldn't take it anymore, allegedly. You know, this is what I've read. And basically, when he went to court, he he, he wore a T-shirt, a white T-shirt that had killer written across it, and he flipped off the families of the victims, you know, during his appearance in court. And he was given three life sentences for the murders he committed. He gave only a short, defiant statement in the courtroom, and I quote, this hand that pulled the trigger that killed your sons now masturbates to the memory. Fuck all of you, end quote. I don't remember seeing Tyrone say anything like that in court. And just looking at the pictures of the young man, uh, he still looks like he's real angry about that situation. And so, you know, that's one example of, you know, white people behaving badly. You know, we have quite a few here. You know, um, you have uh, a North Carolinian, you know, a man from North Carolina, Michael Mitchell of Silva, was arrested after deputies received allegations that he had performed sex acts with children who were in his care. Hmm. He looks white to me. And the children that he allegedly molested were white. Um, Officers find active meth lab under trap door in DeKalb County, Alabama. All the pictures here are white people. You know, um... If that had been black people, ooh, crack house, flop house, you know, was discovered by the police, and they would show pictures of, you know, police officers and SWAT gear, you know, busting down the door. It would be an episode of cops. You know, um, you have Curtis Worley, you know, his Illinois man fatally stabbed the wife after she refused to have sex. Now, this happened in a suburb of Chicago over in Addison which is a really, really nice suburb over in DuPage County. If you're going to get in trouble in, this, in, you know, the state of Illinois, you want to stay out of Lake in DuPage County because you will go to jail. Um, and those counties have very, very few African Americans living over there. And this gentleman was, you know, charged with first-degree murder. 
um, registered sex offender had sex with his neighbor's dog. And this is James Lee Lyons, 52. And, you know, you know the whole website it tells you about these fun things. And, you know, Florida apartment shooting suspect called 911 before deadly rampage to report someone casting spells. And his name is Pedro Vargas, but he looks white to me. So, you know, you know, that goes back to that George Zimmerman thing. So, anyway, you know, there are a number of stories out here. And, you know, those stories aren't necessarily being covered. And my question is, why not? Why are these, you know, come on, you know, why why aren't they being covered? Um, you know, I think we have Carl on the line, and who is this 360? This is Travis. Hey, Travis, that's what I thought. Travis and Carl, we have them on the line. And, you know, I'm just reading these stories here, you know, because, I mean, what if black people were to talk to white people the way they talk to us? What if we said to them, go back to Europe? Europe has a lower murder rate, so go back to Europe if you don't like it here. Or whites kill their own. And I'm getting this from Abagon. And, you know, white kill, whites kill their own. And in far greater numbers, for every white person, a black person kill. White kill, well, whites kill at least six. If white people do it, it must be all right, or at least not that bad. Um, you know, no one in my family has ever murdered a white person, so why are you blaming me? Over 99.9% of blacks in America have never killed a white person, so why blame them? I like that one, Kim. I like that one. Yeah. Ain't nobody in my family kill nobody white. I like. I, I, I'm gonna wear that shit out. <laughs> I'm gonna wear that shit out. <laughs> Ain't nobody in my family kill nobody white. Why are you talking about that to me? I mean, right, know nobody exactly. who's killing white people. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know what I'm saying? You know? Even nobody, nobody, I, nobody I know knows nobody who killed some white people. So why are you worrying about that? Exactly. You know, and here's another one. It was the Times. Blacks, blacks kill each other at an even higher rate than they kill whites. Proof that it is part of their culture, that they do not know any better. It is unfair to judge them by white moral standards. You well, know, go the other way. Flip the, flip the whole thing. Flip the whole thing, uh-huh. Kim, and say that, okay, if it's true that you kill who you're around, right? So you ain't going to drive across town to rob somebody for, for what's in their wallet. You're just not going to do that. Okay. Exactly. And so, but on the other hand, the rich white guy will poison the water of some poor brown people with his oil or poison the area with 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 his banks. You know what I mean? He will do that to. And so that is so that's white on brown crime, or like we said, that's white on everybody crime. Right. Right. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, let's talk about how white America white glorifies white. <laughs> violence. Yeah, yeah, the white American culture, it glorifies violence. You know, you got Dirty Harry telling everybody to make his day. You got the monsters. You got the cowboys. But, you know, going back to the monsters and the Italians, you all really need to book, read the book as a, um, I forget the title of the book, but it talks about how the white culture was developed and how certain different cultures were not considered white until they needed the numbers. 
the people that were originally considered white in this country were white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Why? So Irish, Italian, Polish, none of those cultures were considered white. Jewish people, they weren't considered white. And that changed over the years. And so now we have, you know, Hispanic, Latinos, Mestizos, to a certain degree, are being considered honorary white, like these other groups, which causes other problems. But, again, you know, uh, so why is the black-on-white murder held up as this terrible thing in a white media? Why are blacks painted as the ones who are pathologically violent by nature? When, you know, white American culture provides violence, and they're not looking at themselves. And why uh, do I not we, we, we just copying y'all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, everything we do, we copying y'all. If we into uh, Christianity, we we copying y'all, right? If, if we're into a religion, uh, we're pretty much copying y'all. And even if it's our own religion, we trying to get our religion tight like y'all. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Dang it. Oh, yeah, but see, check it out. Many of these black murderers, when they point to black-on-black crime, many of the black murderers are not pure black. So you cannot blame black people for that. You know, just like, you know, Bravo President isn't all black. You know, well, they say, well, he's not a black president. He's a biracial, multiracial president. Okay, so not all blacks you know, are pure black. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of us are pure black. So how are you blaming black people when we have, you know, a lot of white blood in our systems? You know, you know so... Mm-hmm. You know something? Um, everybody knows me to be kind of a, a horror buff, and so, especially genre movies. And so a lot of the movies that you'll see, especially horror movies, are based on serial killers, and the majority of serial killers are, in fact, uh, white, uh, white, white, white male, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, there are there are criminals who are um, who have earned a co- kind of macabre, le- legendary status because of the heinousness of the crime. You know, Ed Gein, uh, Jeffrey, well, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, White, um, Andre Chikatilo, and uh, many others that are a little bit more obscure and whatnot. And um, the idea that I've I kind of thought about and someone else telling me about is that, you know, the difference between the two, between white and black, is that black people kill each other based on money and uh, greed, uh, just like everybody else, you know, drug-related stuff like that, whereas the average... Desperation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the average white American, white male has a, well, not average white male, but a white killer has perhaps a compulsion to kill. Fetish. Now, I don't know, yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, when I look at, you know, when I I read, read history and I look at the cycle of violence throughout the world from Asia to Europe and everything like that, Human beings have found all kinds of ways to kill each other, but it seemed like in in America, the dynamics between European and black 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 culture have caused one of us to kill in a way that's different from the other, but one of us is a little bit more vilified for it. Right, 
Exactly. And it, it's just unreal. But, again, the statistics I hear, you know, show what's happening. You know, African Americans are two times as likely to be arrested and almost four times as likely to experience the use of force during encounter with police. In the federal system, black offenders receive sentences that are 10% longer than white offenders for the same crime. Five times as many whites are using drugs as African Americans, yet African Americans are sent to prison for drug offenses at 10 times the rate of white. African Americans are incarcerated nearly six times the rate of white. African American youth are about 16% of the youth population. 37% of their cases are moved to a criminal court, and 58% of convicted African American youth are sent to adult prisons. Controlling for other factors, including severity of the offense and prior criminal history, white men aged 18 to 29 were 38% less likely to be sentenced to prison than their black male peers. African-American women are three times more likely than white women to be incarcerated. African-American defendants are 21% more likely to receive mandatory minimum sentence than whites and are 20% more likely to be sentenced to prison. How is this fair? Especially when we constitute, you know, less than 15% of the population in this country. We're at 12, 13%. Go ahead, honey. They hate you. They hate you. That's why. That's <laughs> what it happened. <laughs> they hate you. <laughs> yeah. And they ain't going to stop. You know, but I think, they ain't going to stop. Look, what? they ain't going to stop, Kim. They ain't going to stop. Look, it's, it's a real big pimp move. What you got to really, everybody got to understand is that Alec, what everybody was talking about, um, which put in, like, the stand your ground laws, also mm-hmm. put in the privatized prisons and the exactly. mandatory minimums. And the mandatory minimums. So now, and those are the same group of people that are trying to attack the unions. So they can get rid of an $18, $20 an hour union job if they can replace it with a prison worker they know is going to be there for a while. And if they got a mandatory uh, minimum, they got your ass working for $20 an hour for four to five years or longer. Yes, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that, you know, with Michelle Alexander talking about the new, you know, Jim Crow, you know, it's like the prisons, you know, are like the new plantations, if you will. You know, the people in prison working these corporate jobs, if you will, they make, what, a dime an hour, if that, 10, 20 cents an hour, while the prison system, the privatized prison system, is making $20 an hour. And let's say they, they're in prison for a while. They work that job for five years just so they can have some commissary money. When they get out of jail, that same company will not hire them because they have a record, even though they had that record when they were working for them in jail, and then will not, you know, hire them and claim no experience, even though that person has been working with them for five years. So where is the justice behind that? Those companies should be forced, you know, we won't say forced. It should be mandated that the same companies that are, you know, using this type of labor, that a portion of that salary, they get their 10 to 20 cents an hour, but a portion of the rest of that money should be basically saved so that when that prisoner gets out of jail, that they can use that money that they've acquired to help them get a new lease on life, and those companies should help them transition to become a productive citizen. 
it it shouldn't be making having right. factories in the prisons in the first place. It should not be having factories in the prisons in the first place. Because oh, yeah. all it does is uh, give reason to put draconian laws on people. Look, and, 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 and attack the people. You know how they, all of a sudden you, you see all these little laws popping up and little things popping up? That's because, somebody broke this down the other day, that um, the politicians are not afraid of the people. And he pretty much got it figured out that if you're a billionaire, you can buy enough uh, folks to do what you want to do. Exactly. Exactly. No, that's true. You know, it shouldn't be there in the first place, but I believe getting them out of the prison system will take years and years of legislation. But, I mean, just like we have them pass the one legislation demanding, if you know, you know, a prison-to-work program, if you will, then, yeah, we probably could just demand that they leave the prison systems altogether. And, you know, it kind of, I, think, I think Alfred wanted to say something. I'm going to pull him into the conversation. Are you there, Alfred? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, I was just—I was having a—I uh, was having a kind of a, a reminiscing of a conversation I had with some uh, old white coworkers, and of course, they denied anything like this ever happening because it doesn't affect them. But it's—it's it's so funny that they're the same ones who, you know, told me, "Hey, you know, slavery happened a long time ago. Hey, you know, it doesn't have any impact now." Uh, you know, you know that whole sharecropping thing is that's in the past and all that kind of stuff and Jim Crow and it's like, do you not see the parallels here from sharecropping and what's happening now? Even if someone exactly. committed a, a small crime, all right, cool. Uh, uh, recreational drug use. The, the fact that do you know how many people in the military right now use recreational drugs and openly admit it and then say, you know what, I'm gonna stop this and turn my life. I had a command sergeant major tell me that. I'm not gonna say which one. Uh, but I've had him say, yeah, I was into that kind of stuff, but I turned my life around. So if he was able to do that, why aren't a certain section of uh, America not afforded that same opportunity? So when you have a system like this, we talk about that uh, that prison pipeline, it's designed to keep these people here who are going to rele- relegate all the crimes and all the mischief in America to, you know, the, the American uh, Jews now. Uh, how are we going to how we want things to improve we don't that this whole system is designed to keep people in a certain place and it's just amazing that only the folks that are affected that only the folks that are affected by it see it but then that, that kind of harkens back to the show that I did what two weeks ago on uh, uh, hegemonic privilege it's all interconnected in some way, shape, or form. And that's what I really enjoy about trying to make these parallels because this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not, you know, just these grand assertions that somebody's making all of a sudden. This shit happens every day. It, what, what happens to someone after they come out of this uh, prison pipeline system? How are they ever going to fix their life? It's, it's not designed for them to fix their life. It's designed as a punishment and now it's a profitable market for someone else. But then, hell, we put them in a situation where they made one mistake in their life, a, a relatively small mistake, and now they're fucked for life. They can't do anything because now there's that stigma. But oh, on top of the stigma that already is there from you know their racial demographics, so you're double fucked. So now that you're double fucked, what else can you do other than try and make a living working at maybe McDonald's if they accept you? 
then, well, fuck, right. I can't make enough to make ends meet. So guess what? I know uh, selling these drugs is going to make me pay my rent. Oh, guess what? I'm fucked again because I just got arrested. We, how is that any system that we want to tout in supposedly the best country in the world? How is that right. in any way, shape, or form going to be conducive for a better society? And it, it still amazes me that this is still going on. But then again, just like Travis said, they hate your black ass. So and I heard that when I was young, yeah. and they're still true to this motherfucking day. If they can put your black ass behind jail and make some money off your ass, they will. Unless you are putting a ball through a hoop and they can bet some money on you. And it's just, uh, it's, it reminds me of a comment that I saw uh, about somebody being traded to some team. It's a, and it's a guy down in the comments. It's like, hey, you know, it's, uh, they're nothing good, but they're nothing, uh, they're no good other than being show horses. And I sat there and I read that comment. I was like, well, you know what? That's kind of sad that it's come to that. Is that if you can perform a sport and somebody can groom you and feed you and and put you in a nice kennel, then you are good to go in society. And then they can make some money off your black ass. And if you fuck up, guess what? They're going to put your black ass behind jail and you're going to make some money off you one way or another. Exactly. It's all gambling game. You know, it is. It's all about a gambling game. And I call it a gambling game because everything is gamble. Everything is about money. You know, you have your bull market. You have your bear market. You got people making money if the market is good or if the market is bad. Same thing in our everyday lives, you know, just talking about, you know, um, you know, and I'm, I was laughing when you said, you know, they can go down to McDonald's and get a job if they accept you. They have depressed this economy so much that you need a degree to ask, you know, somebody if they want fries with their shakes. It's getting to that point, you know. And, again, you know, one thing I would tell people, and I think I may do a show about this in the future. I need to do a, a hell of a lot more research. But what I do know from what I've read is, when you have situations like the one that's here in America that's brewing in which you have, you know, an economic depression, they keep saying that this is the great recession, but we're in a depression, people. You know, they have to get over it. I know they don't want to use that word, but we're in an economic depression. We're now having these race, racial issues here. And what this does in other countries, we've seen this happen in particular. You know, I'll give you a more recent example with Hitler. When you had those same combinations happening in these countries, that is how dictators were able to come into power. Just look up, just just do a little bit of research as to when you have racial unrest and you have economic depression, and basically people will vote against their own best interests in an effort to try to climb and dig their way out of this hole. And some of the problems that we're having now with some of the xenophobia, you know, in this country is is because, and I posted an article about this a little bit earlier, it's about competition. It's about jobs. It's about money. And, you know, I've said this in the past, and I truly believe that, that it's not necessarily, you know, about race. It is, but it isn't. But it's more so about the haves versus the have-nots. And the middle class has been decimated. There pretty much is no middle class anymore. You're either poor or you're rich, you know, with 99% of us being poor, you know. And so it's just the whole thing is disturbing. It's extremely disturbing. But what they do is they try to deflect and reframe the narrative. 
And this is why we have so many of these politicians and these news pundits focusing on black-on-black crime and focusing on the black community. Why? Because they're used to using us as the whipping boy, as the whipping post. Mm-hmm. And also, Literally. And all, right. And also to the black community, don't fall for this. It's only black males. Black women, black females are being put in jail at alarming rates. It's happening across the board, period. Understand that. Yep. So, you know, um, Terry was your chat room. Well, if they hate us equally, you know, that's one thing that is equal, right? <laughs> you know. Well, basically what you're saying know. about the middle class being gone, yeah, there's a bunch of poor workers around, and I forgot it was saying this the other day, and this was, it was so true. And basically um, what happens is they want you to serve them and then get out of their face. Mhm. Exactly. Serve me, and and don't make me look at you too long. Exactly. Exactly. Paula exactly. Dean. It, it kind of. I was about to say it takes me back to that Paula Dean thing, where she wanted mm-hmm. people to you know dress up like an antebellum days, you know, with the black pants and the white jacket with the white ties, and they don't talk to anybody. They just serve you drinks and snacks or order. Oh, Kim. Kim, I forgot to mention. Have have you seen the new uh the new story on Paula Dean? No. There's so there's been so many, it's hard to keep up. She just screwed. Oh, no. Which one's the new one? This is a new one now. I don't think anybody's really heard of it because I just saw it late last night. She fired her lawyers for the for this case and she hired a bunch of high powered uh lawyers that are all black women. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I, I got one for you. I I'm gonna go uh Let's go uh, Paul Mooney Red Fox on this one. <laughs> Nobody needs a nigga till somebody needs a nigga. <laughs> <Some niggas. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they don't wanna, <laughs> she don't need no niggas around till she needs some niggas around. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, like I said, it's, it's so much happening. It's so much going on, and, you know, it will just be to our benefit to get out here and to to – Inform ourselves. Get the knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is, you know, the way that we're going to be able to, you know, fight back, if you will. And, you know, again, we have to start challenging some of this. You know, um, you know, I'll give you all some more examples of racial microaggressions. And President Obama spoke to this particular um, scenario here. But when a white couple, a man and a woman, passes a black man on the sidewalk, the woman automatically clutches her purse more tightly while the white man checks his wallet in the back pocket. And the hidden messages, blacks are prone to crime and up to no good. Um you know, a third-generation Asian-American is complimented by a taxi cab driver for speaking such good English. Hidden message, Asian-Americans are perceived as perpetual aliens in their own country and not real mm-hmm. Americans. You, you know, around here. Yeah, exactly, xenophobia. Um, police stop a Latino male driver for no apparent reason but to subtly check his driver's license to determine immigration status. Hidden message, Latinas, Latinos are illegal aliens, so especially stay your ass up out of Arizona. Um, 
another one, American Indian students at the University of Illinois see Native American symbols and mascots exemplified by Chief Illini Wake dancing and hooping fiercely during football games. Hidden message. Um, American Indians are savages, bloodthirsty, and their culture and traditions aren't demeaned. Now, um, for those that aren't aware, I attended the University of Illinois, and this is the campus down in Urbana-Champaign. And we were protesting Chief Illini Wick when I was in college, and that was a long time ago. So they have no intention of ever, you know, getting rid of that particular mascot. And, you know, I remember the Native American students um you know, coming in and protesting, and we had all kinds of meetings and forums, and nothing has changed. You know, so Chief Illini Wag, and then there's usually a white male playing, you know, Chief Illini Wag. So, you know, dancing and hopping, you know, around the basketball court and the football fields. So, you know, um, whole thing, interesting. Um <laughs> You know, we just need to address, you know, these issues here. And, I mean, there are a lot more examples that we give and that are out there, but I want people to do some research, you know, on their own as to, you know, what's happening. And, you know, again, we're talking about unconscious bias, um, unintentional racism, and all of that. And what some people, what people have to realize is that such unconscious Unconscious biases affect all of our relationships, whether they are fleeting relationships in airports or longer-term relationships between teachers and students, teachers and parents, teachers and other educators. And understanding our own biases is the first step toward improving the interactions that we have with all people, and it's essential if we hope to keep building deep communities within our schools and with, you know, building relationships within our communities. And many of these biases are rooted in stereotypes and prejudices. And, you know, a stereotype is a simplistic image or distorted truth about a person or a group based on a prejudgment of habits, traits, abilities, or expectations. And that came from Weinstein and Mill in 1997. Um, ethnic and racial stereotypes are learned as part of normal socialization and are consistent among many populations and across time. You know, and, you know, one of the examples they're giving here um, is the doll study from Clark in 1954. And basically, um, you know, a 17-year-old film student and basically had... Um, with the media and with the study showed that young black kids, you know, reflected society's prejudices. And, you know, the child described the black doll as looking bad and the white doll as nice. And, you know, that that same study was repeated and the results were still the same. And in one of the studies that was videotaped, um, they asked some of the young kids, and one particular that just broke my heart, this young black girl, they asked her which doll she more she looked like the most. And she started to cry, and she pointed to the black doll. We have to do something about this. Because if the babies are getting it, I'm not understanding how you have so many adults running around saying that they don't see racism, that they don't, you know, that racism is over, that you know, we need to get over it, both black and white. 
is so prevalent, you know, and then you have, you know, some of the issues with, like, Don Lemon and some other blacks, if you will, that would say, well, I'm not like, I'm not like them. I'm not like the rest of them. I'm different. No, you're not. And that basically ties into the respectability politics that Carl and Alfred will be discussing next Friday. You know, it doesn't matter if you're wearing a two, three thousand dollar suit with five hundred dollar shoes on, you know, and you know, a wallet full of cash. If you're black, you're still black. It does not matter. They respect your cash. They don't respect you. And I'm not saying that's everybody across the board because we have quite a few allies. But, you know, even with some of the people that are allies to our community, there is still biases, which is important, you know, that we continue to talk and challenge and critique, you know, what's happening around us. So, again, um, you know, we need to look at, you know, what's happening. There are 314 million people living in the United States, and 78% of the population is white. That's almost the entire country. And, you know, as I stated earlier, we make we comprise less than 15% of the population. As, as a matter of fact, we are only 13% of the population. I said anywhere between 12 and 15. This stat here says 13%. You know, and, you know, white-on-white crime is just as prevalent as black-on-black crime. So go back, study up on proximity hypothesis, and that will give you a better understanding as to why certain crimes occur where they occur. Not because people are specifically targeted because of their skin color. Blacks do not target other blacks because they're black. Whites do not necessarily target other whites because they're white. It's about what's convenient. So hopefully that will shut down, you know, part of that argument there. But, you know, again, there's so much happening. Um, you know, you know, part of President Obama's speech um, that he gave on race, you know, it's just like it's a no-win situation. Yeah. All right, got to put somebody on hold. Um, basically, President Obama, okay. <laughs> President Obama's speech, um, you know, about race, you know, it's, it's like he can't win. When he said that Tra- Trayvon could have been his son, People were unhappy. When he said he could have been Trayvon, they were unhappy about that. He gave this speech on race. They were unhappy about that. There are some people that do not want us to talk about race whatsoever. As a matter of fact, there was a new poll that came out most recently in which, um, you know, white Americans want the whole conversation about race to go away. And that's not going to happen because we have not addressed the issues of race. You know, um, somebody broke it down the point, Kim. It was a really great point. You guys will love this. They brought it up the point. Every time we say we we need to talk about racism, 
be. Um, they kind of concern troll it. That's a, uh, 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 where they where, where they try to change the topic, and they'll say like, "You can't talk about guns right now after a shooting." But on this one, when you're talking about race, they try to they change it from talking about actual race and racism and how do we uh, get some uh, white people to talk to the bigoted white people, and instead they flip it to what the problems with black people are. It always right. goes deflection. right to that. Mm-hmm. Yes, deflection. Yes, deflection. They don't want it to talk about the real issue. And, again, you know, I've had people say, well, what do you propose that we do? You know, this has been happening in this country, you know, since the inception of this country. Remember the Native Americans, the indigenous people, and how they came and conquered them? Um, it's, it's, it has to be addressed. And, you know, what I will say is, you know, with the constant finger pointing, with the constant deflection, with the constant, you know, dealing with everything but the issue at hand, it's only going to get worse because I believe we're sitting on a powder keg now. And there is an opportunity now to start addressing these issues. And I'm not talking about just a dried-out conversation talking about race. We've had uh, quite a few of those. We need to address public policy. We need to address, you know, economic and educational opportunities. We need to address investing in the different communities because, I mean, there are a lot of poor whites, too. We, You know, and that has to be addressed as well. And, you know, reinvesting, giving out business loans to people in the communities that want to open businesses, you know, creating an environment in which people will spend money in their communities and have that money recirculating in the communities, holding people accountable. Again, people giving, you know, quite a bit of money to the churches, and some of these churches do help the community, but some of them don't. So, you know, taking some of that and, you know, putting it back into the community, reinvesting in our community, reinvesting in ourselves, you know, it's extremely important that, you know, we start addressing these particular issues, holding these politicians accountable, you know, holding these corporations, you know, accountable. You know, um, Terry was in the chat room talking about how a lot of these corporations, you know, give money to the politicians and how that, you know, has a direct effect on the type of legislation that is passed. And, you know, so again, you know, it's about being complicit and holding these people, you know, accountable. You know, now corporations are considered as people. You know, again, that's why we encourage people to get involved in local politics, understand what's happening, understand, you know, what's what's going on, what's happening around you. And, you know, the statistics, you know, go back, learn some history. That's why we put this information out there. We put it out there so that people can see and understand, um, you know, what's happening. You know, and a lot of civil rights organizations and community leaders, they talk about the crime in black communities. They talk about this. They're out here. You know, in Chicago yesterday there was a march. I really wanted to go to that march, but... You know, it was a whole set of different reasons why I didn't go to that particular march. But it was about crime. And, um, again, 
a lot of these pundits, these white news pundits, they're trying to point the finger at us and deflect the conversation and say that we're not discussing crime and we're not discussing issues in a black community. Yes, we are, but you don't know any of us. And when you do know who we are, you dismiss what we're saying or totally disregard what we're trying to do. You know, and, you know, then they try to play this gender-blind politics. There is no such thing as being colorblind. And I meant colorblind, not gender-blind. There is no such thing as being colorblind. No such thing. You know, you can appreciate people as who they are. But when I hear certain people saying, well, I'm colorblind, you know, there's no such thing as color. And I just look at them and shake my head and walk away because there's no need to continue on with the conversation. And so, you know, by making comments such as being colorblind, what they're doing is basically trying to shut down the conversation and keep things at the status quo. Keep things at the status quo. And we can't have that. It's been at the status quo for so long. Change has to come. We're going to have to change from the inside. So it's just the whole thing is interesting. It's over, Kim. It's over. Say that again. It's over. Just tap out. It's over. It's over. Just tap out. You know, I saw something this week that made me so sad. I saw something this week that made me feel so sad. I'm sitting, you know, we're sitting here and we're talking about, you know, last month, you know, racism in different forms and uh, uh, the numbers of religious people who that are, you know, skipping over the spiritual realm and jumping right into the agnostic, atheist, unconvinced, free thinking, you know, you know, category. But last week there's an article about how Halliburton their cement or whatever they had done in the Gulf of Mexico that we know was found to have caused a bunch of the the oil spill and the fine they were fined was a fine of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And I'm like what I'm like if you can I mean they make that they made that much money, you know, ten or fifteen times in the in the length of time I've been talking just in this particular comment. Exactly. 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 And, you know, these corporations as well as these politicians, you know, as someone said in a chat room, they need to be held criminally accountable. And, like I said, easier said than done. But, yeah, no. You know, well, what do you think about the idea? $1,000, they, well, they spend more on, you know, um, on coffee uh, per pants. month. Yeah, I was going to say on pens in a week, you know, $250,000. You know, um, yeah, and you're right, Starbucks. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and, but what, what somebody said, which is a really good point about this whole corporation thing, is there needs to be a new movement, and the movement should be name, address, phone number. Forget the corporate name. These are people doing this. There are people that work there. There are people who, you know, it ain't just an oil company that's fracking underneath people's houses and destroying their water wells. These are people doing these things. And there needs to be a movement, 
instead of calling it Monsanto, it's the name, address, and phone number of everybody at Monsanto. Mm-hmm. And that that'll, that that'll slow that down. Just like if there's a, uh, I was thinking about this idea. I, I've been, um, I was asked to go on tour this week, and they wanted to know like what uh, like uh, activist action I would want to do, you know, while we're on this tour. And I thought it would be good and fun to find loud anti-gay churches, show up at their church uh, uh, on Sunday morning before they are there. Okay, with cameras, these are the people going to an anti-gay church. That way you can fuck up their collection plate for a week. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, yes, you know, out there with the camera and, you know. Yeah. Or or better yet, well, with some of these political pundits, um, find out where they live and go to their neighborhoods and protest white-on-white crime in front of their houses. (laughs) Name, address, phone number. You're right. This house, this big giant house with your rich ass, was funded by white on white on everybody or white on white crime. Because there's a whole lot of white on white crime where, you know, like the, the good old boy network is white on white crime, right? You're in a Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, and you're the family that's running stuff, and all the poor white people are your minions. You know what I mean? Like, they can't get up without you squashing them down. That's white-on-white uh, crime. The, you know, the big land barons, like in the old days, you know, where the the cattle rustlers would just, because they got more hired hands and hired guns, they could just kill the, the you know, the, kill that family, take their shit, and say it's theirs. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I posted an article yesterday in which it was talking about the plight of poor whites. And how, you know, how the plight of poor whites are basically being hidden because it contradicts capitalism, if you will. And so that's the reason why when we talk about these things, you know, we talk about certain things. I talk about, um, um, I talk about poor whites and and their plight because, again, like I said, with a lot of the issues that we have right now. It's about the haves versus the have-nots, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, basically, you know, having poor whites is kind of like an oxymoron, if you will. Poor whites? How is that possible? And you know, if you go back and you start reading some of the stories, you know, with history and what happened, is you know, it seems as though those are they're shamed, if you will. That's the only way I can put it, is that being poor and white, you know, is is shameful. And, you know, they try to hide them from public. (laughs) But, yeah, you know, and and it's just, you know, they're being hurt as well. So, you know, again, you know, I don't want to be on the truth is. Kim, the truth is, if you're poor and white, you're black, okay? And and nobody gives a shit about you, okay? <laughs> All they care is, can they trick you into uh, blaming uh, poor browns for your plight, okay? Exactly. And if they, this is all it is. Basically, somehow, they, they do it very easily. And I, and it's, some people would say it's that uh, desire to want to be rich and to think that it's right around a corner for you, and so, therefore, you won't call out BS on the um, 
the rule the rules in inequality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because you you're hoping right. that that that, you, that you'll be the one with the you know gold cufflinks. You know, and you're not. Right. You're not. Okay. Basically, I, I did this as a joke on stage. I said, uh, uh, if you uh, ha, ha, there's one way to tell if you're going to be rich or not. If you know what top ramen is, your ass ain't gonna be rich. <laughs> like, like that, you know, like uh, <laughs> if if you ever got excited macaroni and cheese at three for a dollar, your ass ain't gonna be rich. You know, what I mean, not like blue bud. You know, wake up in the morning and like like they said, write like a write a check and the bank bounce rich. You know, like right. when, we, when we talk about white and rich, um, what Dick Gregory said, he said, you're not white. You're you're not even white unless you can wake up in the morning and if you feel like it, affect interest rates. He said everybody else is playing in their game. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know it's it's just interesting when you look at people that have acquired that type of wealth. But you know one of the secrets behind that type of wealth is that even with the ones that are donating hundreds of millions of dollars or a vast majority of their wealth, especially on their demise, if you will, there are certain rules that they still have to play by with that money. They can't just take that money, come to the hood, buy up all the houses in the hood, fix them all up, and give them to the people that are living in those houses. They can't do that. It would be nice if they could. That would yeah. start. It would be nice for them to build a factory in somewhere in the middle, of, you know, an eco-friendly factory in the hood. Give the people the jobs, produce goods that they can use in that 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 particular neighborhood or in that region, if you will, and keep the money circulating. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Oh, it's really bad. I mean. We're, we're done. Yeah. We're done. I mean, look, D- D- Detroit's done. When they defunded those schools in Chicago just recently, they're trying to do to Chicago what they did in Detroit. If you ain't got no schools around, then uh, the the young black folks or people, black folks with kids going to have to move. Exactly. But, but see, and, yeah, and that's being done on purpose, and we've talked about that. On purpose. You know, yeah. Because you know yeah, exactly. the property you know is valuable. Living exactly. in the city proper, that is valuable because, you know, a lot of, you know, wealthy people, a lot of, not even so much, you know, wealthy people, a lot of white people moved out to the suburbs because, you know, it was mm-hmm. color-free, if you will, color-free. They may let one or two sprinkles come out there, but not too many. Well, they moved out there for convenience. However, now the telecommute, well, not even a telecommute because that's, you know, working from home, but the commute has become so difficult and because they have not worked on the infrastructure in this country. The commute has become so difficult and so laborious that they want to move back into the cities. And, and that's when doing, they started, especially in. Oh yeah, but in Chicago, they gave a lot yeah. of the people living in house in the housing projects. They gave them Section Eight vouchers, and then they started pushing them out to the suburbs. And when they pushed them out to the suburbs, then all of a sudden they started having issues with public transportation. That was cut. So we're gonna put you mm-hmm. out there. We're gonna make it hard for you to come back in here. Now, at at the same time, the property values are being depressed 
in the city. Because, again, if you don't have a job and you don't have any money, you're not going to be able to do any upkeep on your house. You know, so you know, some pump break, you got to find a way to get that fixed. But that means that you may not be able to paint your house. You may not be able to replace those gutters. You may not be able to paint on the inside of your house either. So something has to suffer. And then you had to borrow and beg from everybody just so you can get, you know, the money to fix that sump pump. In Chicago, what they did is they closed down 49 schools in poor black neighborhoods and Latino neighborhoods. And basically forcing them to bust those children to other neighborhoods or to walk further through, you know, we'll just say in some cases hostile territory, if you will, to get to school, knowing that the parents of these children in many cases are gone for, to work in the morning and that a lot of these kids are latchkey kids. So they got to let themselves out and they got to let themselves in. So now with some of these kids, they're hungry and they're scared. And when they get to school, they can't really focus and pay attention. And then, again, depending on what type of school and the teachers they have, you know, deal with certain other biases and being bullied. And it's it's just a horrible, horrible situation. But going back to what Travis said, what's going to happen is a lot of these parents are going to try to find a way to get their children in a better position, which means moving out to the suburbs, which means they're going to sell their property in many cases at a loss because a lot of the wealth that was acquired by, you know, people of color and communities of color, that was lost in this latest housing bubble. So a lot of the wealth that had been acquired was lost. There are some people that owned their homes and were convinced by other people to go and remortgage their homes at what they thought was a lower rate, not understanding, you know, the variable rate loans that they were getting, um, you know, and well, the arm loans, you know, the adjustable rate mortgages. And then they ended up losing a home that they probably had owned, you know, for, you know, at least a decade. Just so they can get some extra money so they can get a Exactly. Exactly. And and now that's gone. Or hey, what if um what if uh, mama is sitting there watching um I don't know, she's watching some show, she's watching Matlock on the channel and up pops a commercial, <laughs> right, where she can get the reverse voice mer- m- m- uh, mortgage. Right. And then boom right, right. the house that's the house that she uh, worked towards and 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 got and, and was able to hold on all these years, and then that family wealth is just gone. Poof. Exactly. It's a, tricks exactly. and traps all over the place, but but honestly, but you got to. So right now, so who's winning right now, Kim? Is is right now the person winning with these uh, uh, things like this? Is it the uh, preacher's wife who has the real estate card? Is that who's winning right, right now? Or, or well, is it people from other countries coming here to buy this up? Right? Right. Well, I mean, they're pushing the browns um, yeah, no, out, out of the inner city all over the place. Exactly. Yeah, but no, the um, the preacher's wife, that's the mortgage broker or the realtor, she mm-hmm. won during time when they were telling everybody, God wants you to have a house. And they had understood and, you know, and a lot of people don't realize with a lot of these churches, they're connected to the Department of Homeland Security. They're connected to the government in which they are briefed, if you will, about certain policies that are out there. So they knew that Clinton had deregulated quite a bit of these policies and that it was going to make it easier for people to um, attain 
you know, obtain uh, mortgages, if you will. And so that's when they started preaching, God wants you to have a house. God wants you to have a new car. God wants you to have all of these different things. They were preaching capitalism. And mm-hmm. in some cases, oh, you know, the past, oh, that's terrible. What? Yeah, yeah, but it's true. And they were making a killing from being the realtor and the mortgage brokers and all of that, in particular, this one megachurch here in um, Chicago. You know, one of the pastor's inner circle members there, their son had this mortgage company, and, I mean, he was making a killing. And I remember when this guy was walking down the street and you wanted to give him a quarter, right? And next thing I know, he's driving past me in a Maserati, and I was like, how the hell did that happen? So he started a mortgage broker business. And to make a long story short, he made a lot of money and then turned around and, you know, the Attorney General, Lisa Madigan in Illinois, has brought him up on so many charges of mortgage fraud. You know, what they were doing was they were creating W-2s for people, creating false jobs, um, submitting false applications and all. But, you know, in the meantime, they were making money, and there were a lot of lawyers, um, a lot of realtors, you know, a lot of appraisers. All of them went down because of that scam. But in the meantime, before that happened, you know, you know, his parents were bragging all at the megachurch, look what God did, while, you know, their son bought them, you know, homes and all of that. And a friend of mine, they almost sucked her into it because what they were doing was they were getting people that had good and excellent credit and getting them to mortgage, you know, a home and basically telling them that someone else would live in a home for a year or two pay the mortgage, and then turn around, and they would sell the house or flip the house, and then they would share a part of the profits with that individual. And that was, you know, happening, and this individual came and talked to me about it. And I was like, you better not do it. And I was explaining to her what was happening, and, you know, she she didn't do it. And then about four or five months later is when everybody started getting indicted. So... You're telling you, you know, it's, it's happening. A lot of the wealth in our communities has just been decimated, just been pulled. It's gone. And there are a lot of people starting over, and, you know, it's unfortunate. But, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, uh, hey, Kim, mm-hmm. Marissa in the chat room said, uh, I never understood how it's okay for a preacher to be rolling in a bins while his flock is on food stamps. That's really true. Exactly. It don't make no sense to me. It really don't. And that's why, they, the, you know, the shiny suit. Look, the reason why um, the, the suit is very – people got to understand the suit. Um, the reason why even a sports announcer uh, is wearing a suit, the purpose for that is he's pretending like what he has to say is important. Okay? The suit helps him. With the with with the power of, of of letting you think what the words coming out of his mouth that they're special when they are not. It's a trick. Right. Why the Pope wears a big hat? If you don't have a hat like that, you got to listen to him. Right. Right. Because if he right. takes the hat off and he walks off the off the podium, he ain't the Pope. He he could be the plumber. Okay. Right. And, but that goes back, you know, to something, you know kind of tied into what we're talking about today with um, the white-on-white crime and black-on-black crime and all of that, 
and basically, you know, you have some people walking around saying, well, I'm not like them. I'm different. I'm telling you that, you know, that exceptionalism is crap, that talented tent stuff that's crap, it does not exist. Do not you know fall in that trap. Kim, what it really yeah, is is right now the economy is so mm-hmm. bad. The economy is so bad that the best way for somebody black to make some money right now is to start talking shit about all the other black folks. It's the best way, and it might be the only way to get a job right now. If you're on TV and you want to get mm-hmm. some people and make your Twitter numbers go up, your Facebook numbers go up, your blog talk radio listeners go up, right? All, yeah. all you have to yeah. do is you if you change this to black free thinkers to black free thinkers think that black people ain't shit. You know how many white people will start sending you money and buying your books? <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That's true. And I mean, but look at some of your YouTubers out there. You have some black YouTubers that are doing that. You have some, you know, I'll go ahead and call it as I see it, some punk-ass white atheist YouTubers doing the same damn thing. And they're making money hand over fist by But they're telling themselves, Kim. They're telling themselves, yeah. okay, and 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 they can't be unrighteous for a long time making money off of it. It, it just don't work that way. It just doesn't. It just it, um, they're telling themselves to such a degree that they won't be able to um, to, re, to to rebound for, from it. Like the people who have like tried to defend the you know the Zimmerman verdict, however they did, they got attacked with like Twitter and Facebook messages. And people are going to forget it because they told on themselves. They got loud and told on right. themselves. And so that's what's going to happen in the long run. People go, like, hey, wait a minute. Ain't you the one who said black people wasn't shit? Well, I'm not buying your book. I want to watch your show. I don't care about your blog anymore. I am. Oh, um, uh, what was it? There was. Oh, man. Go ahead. I'll think of it. It's going to crack you up. It's going to really be Oh, a good no, one. that's okay. We have Raina on with us. I'm not sure she's ready to talk here tonight. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I had to come so, in the yeah. door. <laughs> oh, no, you had went to one, so I thought you had wanted to speak. I can put you back on hold. No, no. I want to speak. It's fine. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed most of the show, guys. I had a little bit of a family obligation, so I had to take care of that. But I'm here now. And, um, no, you guys are absolutely right. Um, you know, you were talking about Don Lemon of, of uh, CNN, of course. And, um, you know, um, there is a market, but- obviously, now for people who, for black people who are willing to basically shame and talk shit about black people, you know, and put oh, them big down. Market. Um yeah, I mean, including including um, you know, um, Dr. Uh, ben Carson, you know, who is not, who is probably going to be some sort of political candidate um, in the coming years. Um, you know, the Republicans are like foaming at the mouth to get a a black mouthpiece. And um, he's, well, what they don't get per- is he's perfect. <laughs> Sorry, go is ahead. he really good? Is he really good, no. or do or or are they? Kind of like he's perfect um, for them there... because he has because he's a black man and he's he's prominent in his profession and he basically says everything that they want him to. That's why, right? He's perfect. Right. Okay. Exactly. So there's a lot he of those people. Those people. Yeah. Go ahead. But what they don't understand, what those people don't understand, is everybody 
has, you know, cameras and everybody got editing systems now. You know what I mean? And everybody can send out stuff to the world. And when people search his name, it's going to pop up. So he ain't going to be able to trick that many people. I don't think they can um, – I don't think they can do it that way. I think they're they're trying something that ain't going to work. But I, So I don't see – but I think what the real thing we have to worry about is the full-on assault on uh, – by state legislatures all over this country, whether it be uh, women's rights, black voting rights, um, some of the uh, things like where it'll say um, you can't sue this company because um, because of some reason why you can't sue this whatever company that's poisoning the water or doing whatever, that's a white on everybody crime. Okay? Does that make sense exactly. or is that too far? No, that is the no. Um, you know it is because when you have it set up so that you can't sue, you know, um, one of the most recent um, Supreme Court decisions was about companies that make generic drugs, pharmaceutical companies that make generic drugs, and basically it limited the types of lawsuits that could come against those particular countries. I mean, those particular companies, and you know. <sighs> That that is kind of a crime on everyone. However, yes. you know there's you know there are some reasons behind that. I may not fully agree with a lot of the reasoning behind why they made that type of um, ruling, but you know, but that's just an example of what you were just talking about. But if okay, look, if pharmaceutical companies were known to. Uh, uh, to always, always, if there is even an inkling that there might be a side effect that's too rough for the, for, for you know, for the common person to have, we're gonna we're gonna take it off the market and we wouldn't we wouldn't even begin to give it to y'all. If that was how they operated, yeah, that would make that that's fine. But it ain't like that. Right, right. But see, I think the reason why they made part of that ruling is because these were the generic. Uh, manufacturers. It goes back to the people who manufactured the the originals, so the ones that are making the name brand, you know, um, drugs and you know the formula. I mean, part but, of it. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry, finish your point. Sorry. No, go ahead. Finish. No, go ahead. I was just going to no, start talking about the formularies. Well, yeah, there's there's the problem of, of of sort of the formula, but there's also the issue of. Um, you know, generics are already sold at reduced cost, um, you know, because they, they're they generic and because they have not put in the, um, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of research um, in, in investment into finding the drug, um, you know, they don't have to recoup that. So they can sell at a lesser rate. So they're already sort of doing a public good in a sense, because they're 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 making these drugs available without the associated cost. So to to open them up to um to major lawsuits um for a formula that they didn't come up with in the beginning is um it, it it's sort of it, it what it's eventually going to do is to make that market not viable anymore. <laughs> The, their whole, their whole, the whole reason for generics existing is to produce drugs at lower cost. Okay, right. I, see, so, I see what you're saying. 
That makes sense. I, right. I stand corrected. I mean, wow. Okay, so you're saying that by the time it gets to a generic, they should have figured out what the the real and actual risk are, and there shouldn't be any like surprise um, flare ups of of. You know, That's not to say that there aren't mistakes. Killed. I'm just saying that depending upon, I, I I think I think for me I would be more comfortable if it was a case by case situation where these things right. were evaluated. But the the fact of the matter is is that there can be problems with the manufacturing process itself. So barring that there aren't any problems with the manufacturing process itself and the generic company is just going by the essential formula, I feel that it it it's it's sort of wrong to put onus on the generic company for a formula that they did not create in the first place, a formula that they're not even testing, because generic companies don't have to do clinical trials. The whole purpose of generics is that they're cheaper versions of the original product. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. They don't have the brand name as, as attached to it, but it's the same formula. You're getting the same chemical. You're just getting it from a, a company that didn't do all of the steps to research that chemical. Right. 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 Well, what do you think? Um, okay, so... Man, there's there's something about like the copyrights and all all of those things that's kind of weird right now. And and like uh, I was reading an article about a, a a guy in Germany whose business is just to copy stuff. If you if he sees a, a business on the internet that's really doing well, it's a, a generic enough business that anybody could do it, they just copy it and do it overseas. They just do it right away. Mm-hmm. And Okay, and they, he argues, you know, this is not what everything is. Nothing is, you know, of itself, right? So, so that's the same thing for someone to be able to hold a patent that long. That's the argument with the generics things, right? If people need um, the cure and the cure is on the pallet planet, shouldn't people have the cure? I'm sorry. Wow. I, I'm sorry, I missed that last. That last day. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, let's see here. Um, we're just talking about you're talking about generics and, and and you know medicine. Well, as you get like, there should be universal health care, plain and simple. I mean, basically, Absolutely. I don't see how any, I don't see how anybody can argue that we need to spend all our money for military security and can't spend a fraction of that on health security for all. And it just doesn't make any sense, right? Everybody can have a gun. Everybody can't go to the hospital. (laughs) Right, right. No, I agree with you. I mean, um, universal health care makes sense for numerous reasons, Um, even even from – a business standpoint, it makes sense, but unfortunately, we live in a country where very little is done on the basis of sense and rationality. <laughs> so, you know, right, right, and so again, you know, again, it goes back to policies and laws that definitely need to be visited, and revisited, and rewritten, and. You know, a lot of what we talked about today and in, you know, past shows and subsequent shows, shows to come, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, there are certain issues. And I just say, you know, we don't have the power 
as far as being able to change public policies. We have the power to vote people in and out of office. We have the power to get out here and protest and march and to, to somewhat force their hand at certain things. So we have that power, but we have to elect the right people into office in order to affect, you know, um, that type of change. And no need to reinvent the wheel in some cases with a lot of these policies. Um, they just need to be rewritten from the ground up, not revamped, not amended. It just needs to be rewritten, period. Because, again, with the systemic and institutionalized racism that has been pervasive in this country, you know, you know, why are we amending laws, you know, that put people of color at a disadvantage? Why don't they just rewrite the entire law and put everybody on Because they're not going to happen because they don't care. They don't care. Exactly. They don't care. They don't care about you. Exactly. This is what gets me. Yeah, there you go. And and that's the thing. You know, it has been proven that communities of color can sustain themselves. They they can build businesses. They can build, you know, a, a lot of successes, you know, in our communities. And the past has shown us that once, you know, certain communities start becoming successful, you have entities, if you will, that want to come in and destroy it. Look at Rosewood, look at Tulsa. I mean, there are numerous examples out there, you know, um, entire cities that have been bulldozed. A lot of people don't realize that it was a very successful black community in New York that they totally pushed everybody out and they built Central Park on top of it. Right. So that's really? why I tell people that. Yes, yeah, seriously. Okay, well, how is that not the same thing that's happening in Detroit right now or in Chicago right now or wherever? There's a whole bunch of things like that's going on. Right now in Seattle, they moved all the poor people away from downtown out to the suburbs, right? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, seriously, you, uh, urban is going, urban is going to flip flop. It's going to mean something different. So there's urban and then there's going to be, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, history is repeating itself. That's the point I'm making. History is repeating itself. We need to go back and do the research. If you go back and look at the past to see what happened with those communities, you can see the parallels with what's happening now. It's the same it's the same tricks. It's the same quote unquote twistery, you know, on that, you know, purple unicorn. But um, you know, it's the same tricks. It's the same you know, smoke and mirrors. It's the same game. They play the same games over and over. It's the same, and it's like we fall for it every time. We got to stop. We got to stop. We got to stop. Um, you know, and Alfred posted a link earlier about over in Gilberton, um, Pennsylvania, how a white militia group has taken the town hostage. So you have, you know, militias out here taking a town hostage or taking towns hostage, because I don't believe that's the only one. Um, you have the KKK forming neighborhood watches. You have all of these things happening behind the narrative of black-on-black crime. Mm-hmm. So we're doing these right. shows. So to wake you up 
Think about it. Look what's happening. Vote these bastards out. It's time to get out here. It's time to start marching. Get registered to vote. You know, you can go to rockthevote.org. You can go to registerthevote.org. And there are so many different places you can register online. Even if it takes you a few minutes to go somewhere to the Department of Motor Vehicles, go online first. See what they require. Take what you need there. You know, have a utility bill. If you have city stickers or your state license plate um, information, you have to register it every year. Take your, your driver's license, your social security card, take a utility bill, take your, your mortgage paper or your lease papers, take, you know, um, your, your, your vehicle registration. Just, just pile all of that in a big old pile and take it down there with you so that they can't turn you around. You can go online and find out what exactly the requirements are, but we need to start voting and vote them in and out of office and let them understand and know that we have the power. Part of the issue is they're no longer afraid of the people. And, you know, yep. I posted, you know, in, uh, a quote from juveniles talking about, you know, bread and circuses, and that's true. Give them a little entertainment, feed them, you know, a little bit off the table, you know, the crumbs, if you will, and people will tend to fall in line. But that's after they make you suffer. So then you're grateful for whatever little bit they give you. But you got to be mindful of what's happening out here. So if the Ku Klux Klan is, you know, creating neighborhood watches, especially after this Zimmerman verdict, oh, it, it may be coming to a town near you, and you will not be able to feign ignorance because we told you. And, yeah, we told you. We told you it's happening. And, you know, me personally, you know, let them come to Chicago. They can have this damn city. That's how I see it. Well, I'll, I'll just wow. move somewhere else. I mean, because, I mean, I'm out here protesting now. I'm out here, you know, I'm a registered voter out here protesting, you know, putting the information out there and actually walking the walk. And, you know, it can't just be a handful of us. And and I'm not just pointing the finger at, you know, communities of color in general because we need, you know, our white allies. And there are quite a few of them out there. And we need to get out here. We need to be loud. We need to be vocal. We need to do all of these things. But, you know, what has surprised me the most, especially in the atheist community, the apathy, absolute apathy. If you're throwing a party or some type of celebratory, you know, type of event, everybody shows up. If you're dealing with informational and trying to, you know, um, educate and inform, you, I mean, crickets and tumbleweeds, we have to get better. We have to do and that's always been the case. That's always been the case, though, Kim. I mean, it's like the, but, you know, like you said, it's it's time to, you know, you know, put away our party, our dancing shoes, you know, and pull out our, our tennis shoes so we can hit these streets, you know. Um, it's, you know, partying is fine, you know, especially if it's, you know, for a purpose, but, you know, or to celebrate an actual accomplishment. But we have to we have to do better. We just have to do better. But marching is fine, too, but, but marching, they can... They could put somebody fake in your group, and then and then that person breaks a window, and then they crack your skull. So you got to really think about how you do all right. of that. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different things you got to figure out how to do differently. Um, exactly. That's what happened with Occupy, um, Occupy Wall Street. They had some infiltrators, and some of those infiltrators. 
started behaving badly because when they had Occupy Chicago, I went out there a few times with them. And then when they started acting up and getting arrested, and I had to go because Kim ain't going to the clink. Sorry, it's not going to happen. You know, you know, I look cute and orange, but no, no, not every day, damn it. You know, but um, <laughs> well, at least if I'm going to the clink, I'm going to the clink for a real reason. I'm not going to the clink because, you know what I mean, because somebody threw a brick when we were trying to be peaceful. Right. <laughs> right, and, and that's what they do. Down, yeah. yeah, you know, but, I mean, if I'm going to go to the clink, you got to figure out where I hid the money. And I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> you know, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy. But, yeah, you know, like I said, you know, <laughs> um, you know we, we have to do better. And in a lot of cases, we have to start from the ground up. A lot of the things that they did in the past, you know, with some of the protests and the boycotts and the marches, you know, again, like you were talking about the infiltrators that come in, they know to put a couple of, tra- you know, um, troublemakers you know, in those groups and cause problems. You know, with some of the, you know, black atheist groups, you know, secular groups out here, um, we've had people from, we'll just say, in other entities and agencies join the group just to see what we're doing and to keep an eye on us. Don't think uh-huh. that it's not happening. We know it. And we've pretty much picked out who you are. And it's, the whole thing is, um, it's just wild. But, but don't, don't believe that these people aren't paying attention. We have a voice. And now that we're raising our voice and starting to make us think about certain things, you know, they know that they're going to have to succumb to some of the demands. But we have to be consistent. And we have to know exactly what we're looking for and what we want. can't go in there wishy-washy not knowing what you want. You need to walk in there knowing exactly what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, the purpose of today's show basically, is to talk about the narrative that is being put forth to further disparage, you know, the black community with this, you know, mythology of black-on-black crime. There is no such thing as black-on-black crime, just like there is no such thing as white-on-white crime. We're talking about proximity hypothesis. A lot of these crimes are committed where they're committed and with whom they're committed because it's the easiest and most convenient way to commit a crime. You know, most crimes are committed with people that you know, family members, you know, friends, neighbors. So educate yourself. Go look the statistics up. Look it up. You know, and, you know, today's show, you know, was somewhat satirical, but um, serious also. Because, you know, again, I'm just asking you guys to educate yourselves. Educate yourselves. But most importantly, do not let let others dictate the narrative. Sorry, white people, you can't come in and tell me how to be black. You can't Mm -hmm. come in and tell me that my way of thinking is flawed or incorrect. You know, when was the last time you were black? You know, there was a show in which... um, they changed the race, um, the colors of the different people or the races of the different people, and they turned the white people black and the black people white. Well, let's just say the white people that were turned black were not real happy after a week. And that's mm-hmm. real. That's real. You know, I used to say when I was younger that I would love to turn white people black for a year just so they could see 
you know, the biases and the disparities. Kim, I mean, read, a read year. Black like me. Kim, I was going to say, a year, black like me. A year. A year. A whole bunch of them would kill themselves after a year. That's too mean. How about give them a month? A whole bunch of them wouldn't make it a month. Oh, no. I want them to have a year so they can develop high blood pressure, you know, hypertension, and, you know, <laughs> get, the, get the sugar, the diabetes, because all they get is, you know, um, you know, the, the chicken shack and the fish shack around the corner and, you know, you know, fast food. And it's not even a lot of McDonald's and Burger Kings in a black community. You have one sprinkled here and there. No grocery stores. We're living in food deserts, you know, and, and if we're creative – there are ways to get around that, but that takes money. It takes money, but it also takes education and information. You know, and and again, we got to go back into the communities. And so, yeah, no, a year. Let, let's let them have it for a year and see how they adapt to it. You know, and it's just, you know, like I said earlier, for you know, a lot of the people of color that think that they're an exception to the rule, that think that, you know, this so-called talented tip is real, none of that is real. And that ties into Thursday night's show on respectability politics. And I already know Carl and Alfred are going to go in on that show. So I'm looking forward to that show. I'm sorry, that's Friday's show. Thursday's show is Vita's show and is going to um, from education to incarceration. And then Raina's doing a show Saturday. And the show for next Sunday is Dissension in the Feminist Community. So we're going to talk a little bit about the plagiarism and um, you know, being ignored and a bunch of different issues in the feminist community there. And my special guest will be Tierra Hammond next week. So Tierra Hammond will be joining me. The Sunday after that, we're going to talk about political functions of the God concept, the God and spiritual concept. Sunday after that, we're going to pick back up on a Bible series, and we're going to talk about the story of the Exodus and black Christianity or black Christians in America. It's showing the parallelisms there. The Sunday after that, um, shame, shame, shame. We're going to talk about different shaming issues, body image, body shaming, um, you know, um, slut shaming and all of that. But we're going to talk about policing and things of that nature. And, you know, we're also going to hit on a topic that, Travis was talking about that he gave me and basically some advice for the young black community. So we're going to end up hitting yeah, on that as well. Yeah, what advice do you have? What advice do you have for a black teenager post uh, Zimmerman trial? Pay attention to the, the black to the black youth one hundred. Pay attention to some of these young these young um, these young up and comers because a lot of them have more answers than the older generation. Exactly. Particularly the Al Sharptons and the and the uh, Jesse Jacksons. Exactly, and that's what I would say. And that's what I would say to the young people: come and talk to us because we will listen to you. That's the reason why we have some shows that are aimed at the you know the millennials, if you will, and the younger generations. And you've heard me throughout the past couple of years that I've done this show, and I've always gave given a shout out to the young people, and when I have guests, I always ask them for some advice for young people. We care about you. We care about your futures. We care about what's happening to you, and we're more than willing to work with you, and we're more than willing to stand alongside with of you. So on that note, we're down to the last minute. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Raina. Thank you, 
um, Alfred and everybody that called in. And we're looking forward to seeing you guys next week. But, you know, again, we talked about white on right crime. I gave you some statistics. Black on black crime. I gave you some statistics. I gave you some examples of, you know, (laughs) things that kind of upset black people. And I'm going to give you all a couple of more reasons to, um, you know, how to be black in America. Keep going or don't. Keep fighting or don't. Look hard at your individual shit and fix it so that you can be better at love. And that's how you be black in America. All right, everybody. Take care. Mm-hmm.